you're exactly where you need to be. And you're listening to ADD Comedy with Dave Rosaski. Today's guest on ADD Comedy with Dave Rosaski is the one and only Andy Richter. Andy's the guy who's been at Conan O'Brien's side from show one. Andy's been nominated for seven primetime Emmys. He's been on Arrested Development, Talladega Nights, Madagascar, and who can forget or even remember the title, Andy Richter Controls the Universe. We talk about Andy Richter as a brand, being a part of showbiz history, James Burroughs' fun claws, Conan's successful learning curve, and a revealing night I once had with Andy and his wife in Manhattan. Taped in front of a live audience at IOS 13th Annual Los Angeles Improv Comedy Festival, this is just two friends chatting. Yep, in other words, another great ADD comedy. Love it. Andy Richter, ladies. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Hello. Let's switch sides. Yeah, because it yeah, does look. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was uh, already the the mental tricks had started. Yeah, yeah. The one-upsmanship. That's the how trying it works. to make me seem That's our less than. Yeah. Our relationship is gone. You got me again. Oh. Damn it, Richter. Um, you got the small stand. I. I, I just want to say, I, there's so much I want to talk to you. I want to tell you, uh, Ian Foley is in the house, and I want to thank Ian Foley. He's the one that uh, I wouldn't be doing this podcast without him. Uh, he was a producer of this podcast. And when he started, when he said, uh, uh, my wife and I would like to, to make sure that you have a podcast. Uh-huh. And I went, great, I have no idea what that would be. Right. And he said, just have people and talk to him. You were one of the first people that I thought about. Oh, thank and you. And that was a really long time ago. Oh, I'm very hard to get a hold of. You really, actually, I tried to get a hold of you. You and, did? Yeah, I tried to get a hold of you. And it was like, I thought that people were, were trying to make me not connect to you. I was like, no, don't let Rosowski connect to him. Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. No, you I don't, don't, I don't no, I, I, I mean, no, I um, probably you had old information. I bet and I there's had no old reason to. Yeah. I had an email account that got uh, corrupted by Chinese spam. Uh-huh. And I had to change, like, an email account that I'd had forever and ever. There's, there's and I, but I, I was literally getting 600 pieces of Chinese spam a day. There's, a, there's a joke it. in the air. I'm not going to grab it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to take it. Well, you can have it. No, I'm not going to take you it. Know. Well, you know, people at home can play the home yeah, right. version of the Chinese <laughs> spam joke. Right. Uh, but what I really got excited about, I was talking to uh, to my girlfriend, Laura, about about you. And, Way um, to drop I the girlfriend thing. Pretty I, cool. I, I threw that Pretty in girl. there. Uh, oh. she's, an, she's an opera singer. Oh, wow. You know? She's an opera singer. Classy. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I've moved up. Or is she classy? I don't know. You'll see. Yeah. If you saw her, you go, she, she, Now, is she an opera singer or an opry singer? Because there is a difference. Singer, I don't doubt that she can operate. Oh, all right, well, then operate. You put, her yeah, in, yeah. you put anybody in a vest and have one of them hats. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but we were, talking about, uh, we were talking about you, and this is one of the things I realized. I don't think anybody has ever played themselves as much as you played yourself in any television show. Does that oh. make sense? Like, you're more Andy Richter than I think you're any other character. You're, you play the character of Andy Richter. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you get cast as Andy Richter more than... More than other things? Well, yeah. It seems like you're either Richter or Andy Richter. Yeah. Or always Andy. So yes. So it's sort of the Andy Griffith of now. Although, yeah, yeah, no, I don't, well, it's not like anything I set out to do. Of course, I'm just saying it's I think it might be do. the business commenting on my acting ability. <laughs> sort of saying, you've shown your limitations, and now the market will dictate what you should do from this point out. Uh, you know what, it was, well, the, like the first sitcom that I had after I left Conan, 
they really want, I had no inclination to put my own name in front of it. Okay. I don't, I mean, I am in possession of an ego, but it's a very tame ego that's been basted in shame for many, many years. Uh, so the notion of putting my own name on the front of a show, um, it, it didn't appeal to me because it, it didn't appeal to me in an ego way. And, and I also, in just kind of uh, in a realistic sense, thought, uh, you know, if this thing really fucking tanks, do I really want my name on it? <laughs> um, so I was also sort of, you know, trying to... But the people at Fox really wanted my name in the title because of the strong fucking Andy Richter brand, I guess. <laughs> um, but they really wanted my name in the title, and they were... And they, um, it's like 300 different titles. And, and actually, Andy Richter Controls the Universe was my idea. And it, evidenced by history, it's a terrible title, because no, a terrible name for the show, because nobody gets it right. It's always, uh, Andy, Andy controls the world or whatever. Uh, Andy is a universe world person. I want to uh, head back to, to the ego thing that you're talking about. Because that, that also has a lot to do with the way that when I think about you, I think about there, there's a joy that you bring to everything that you do. Uh, well, Not I don't know. Everything. When I see, but the thing is, I'm, I don't know everything. Yeah. But I do know that when, when, I, when I watch you and when I've watched you and when I've worked with you, there's just this joy that there's a joy. And, and Laura called it a childlike quality. Oh, thank you. And I really, I gotta say that I think the ego is connect, not childish. I yeah, think no, the I know, ego I know. Is connected to I that. Know. I think that the lack of ego is connected to that because there's so many people that I know that have that childlike quality and that joy because they don't bring the ego into it. Well, I don't. I just don't. I never found it to be particularly useful, and it and it's in many ways. Uh, it being the ego. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Having an ego, I I never found, especially when I got into improv. Um, the people that really seemed to be at the whims of their ego were the people that could be really exciting, uh, impressive performers, but they I always was kind of turned off by it, and I always felt that the the joyful person that is is as excited to be discovering what they're gonna say as the audience is, those are the people that were exciting for me to watch. And that was the kind of person that I wanted to be. And the person that was going to climb the sets and hang upside down to interrupt everything and draw focus and have everyone go like, that's my favorite guy. Um, I do remember a I woman. never, that was always like, that's just kind of cheap. There, you know? there was a woman and she would wear summer clothes uh-huh. in the winter. Yes. And then she would do this uh, contortion thing Mm -hmm. where essentially she would bend over in a position to really show her camel toe to the audience in a better way. Right. And uh, and it was one of the things where you go, oh my God, what are you doing? Yeah. But it's that it's that desperation where she she was not a good improviser, mm-hmm. but so she was doing essentially we're saying like turning upside down and doing gymnastics yeah. in order to make up for that shit. Yeah. Instead of what you said, which was really great, which was people that are really excited to find out what it is that they're going to say. That's yeah. the way that you said it. People who are really excited to find out what they're going and to say. And what's going to happen, especially in an improv Improv. You know, well, that was the thing about an improv show is that it was, um, it was never well. I wouldn't say never, but I mean, it it was rarely boring. It could be a disaster, but it wouldn't be a boring disaster, you know. And I, I 
and it really was at its best, and when I was at my best at it, which is when I was doing it all the time and was in my brain With was... With whom were you working? Uh, that was probably when it was the Comedy Underground, which was uh, a bunch of us stole a space from Sharna. <laughs> um, uh, uh, it was called Chow, and we and a bunch of us. Oh, Chow! I know the yeah, Italian restaurant. It was a basement of an Italian restaurant, and it was these two, just kind of like before, like guys that Entourage could have been modeled on if they, you know, like. But like all those guys, if they hadn't gone to Hollywood, it was these two very Italian brothers who owned the place. Who owned the place? Who was on your? Who was on your? Oh, on the cast. team. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's like me and Keckner and Dorf and Jay Leggett Kevin in the Dorf, beginning. Jay yeah. Uh, His birthday is tomorrow. By oh, way. really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, just thoughts to him. Just, just yeah, thoughts to him, wherever yeah. he may be. Yeah. Um, but um, but that kind of crowd, like kind of the and and stack. Uh, I know I'm missing people. Well, look at those people. I know. I, mean, you I know. Talk about people that and and you talk about people that are. That you know, certainly everybody has their demons. Right. But at the end of the day, these people are going to say what it is that they're going to say, and then be, and everybody's going to be surprised right. what it is that they're going to say. Right. And to be part of that group, and 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 it's that thing of high tide rises raises all boats. Absolutely. And and if you if you want to be the mer, 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 mer guy, yeah. then you're not. Then the whole boat is not going to rise. No. You know, the only mistake you make in casting and uh, the only mistake you make in improv and fucking is casting. <laughs> You know, and, and, and that's it. Yeah. You know, and and so when you have somebody in a cast like that, uh, who is that murmur guy? Yeah. It's like, well, we gotta we gotta somehow kill Jeb. Yeah. You know? <laughs> there were no murders mm -hmm. uh, in that group, as far as I remember, uh, but there probably should have been. Um, no, it was it. Well, in that group too, that was when we were at what I. In that group, there were times, because we were doing five shows a week there for a while. Five shows a and week. And then I was doing stuff at the Annoyance, too. Mm -hmm. So I was in sort of Olympic training, you know, improv-wise in my brain. And there really were nights, and there were heralds, where I, would, I really was pretty surprised at stuff that came out of my mouth that, that was works you know it's like being surprised at stuff that's coming out of your mouth that's just being fucked up right you know but uh but being in a scene and you know it's all improv a lot of it is just it's little problem solving you know right. you, you, it's, it's just somebody said something and how do i yes and that and and increase the capabilities of everyone to make going, more out of it but without going yeah through all those machinations yes without you do it instinctively it. yeah you uh, do you end up doing it extinct instinctively and that there were times when it, it just would holy shit i was really good back then what right. you know like back yeah you know, i mean i was saying that five minutes later going like God damn, what if you say, Woo, whoever, whoever that saying, was Andy, is great. When you say, when you allow yourself to say, I was really good five minutes, you know, five yeah. minutes afterwards, people don't do that. Yeah. I think a lot of improvisers don't allow themselves to say, that was a great thing that yeah, I just yeah, said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're not giving me the one that's going to say, that was a great thing that I just said, no one else is going to say that. Yeah. And I think it's so important. Now, certainly we have our egos in check and that sort of thing, but I also believe that we err on the side of humble instead of erring on the side of celebrating. Yeah. What we, who we are. I think so. I think, yeah, probably. But I mean, but it's, yeah, I, I also, I don't know. I'm, I always kind of am like, uh, I walk a line with that because I think sometimes I think that I, in a, in a work environment, I, 
I ha I'm a little too stingy with compliments mm -hmm. because I just because I when you say stingy. What you mean is giving other people compliments? giving other people compliments. Yeah, and I mean, and it's because it's a more it's a sin of omission. It's just like I because I don't particularly need like I have a to me the best directors that I've worked with are the people that just let you do things and if you need an adjustment they tell you and then there's other directors that obviously are from a school uh, where they're they think actors need to be constantly reinforced and constantly talked to and constantly have things explained to them just because there's some kind of skittish barn animal that needs to be talked to softly all the time and I am not that, and I'd, I'd like to be left alone, and just, and if I, you know, tell me what you want, but also tell me what you don't, you know, just, but just let's, let's, let me do it first, and then, and then make the comment, and there, and I know actors, because it was one, um, I was lucky enough to work for uh, Jimmy Burroughs, Jim, James Burroughs, the director, uh, on the Will Arnett's, la the CBS show, The Millers, and he was so great about that. He's just like the he's just fantastic. He's kind of gruff and kind of like they they changed their schedule so that I could do the show and do Conan simultaneously. And he was a real asshole to me about that. Like, wow, everyone, the whole world changes because you got another job. I don't know. A lot of people just have one job. They don't have to change the schedule for him. But he um, he I talked to a friend of mine who had worked with him, and and she had a terrible time because she's like. He never gave me any feedback. He only told me when he wanted me to do something differently. And I was like, what, what, what do you want? Why like, do you want, why do you need to I don't, be, it's, like, I don't know. I think there's also something Like talking lovely. to a parrot, like, who's a pretty bird? I'm a pretty bird. That's right, you are a pretty bird. <laughs> um, you know. I was on, I did a commercial with John, John, uh, John Landis, right? Uh-huh. John Landis. I did a commercial with John Landis who had people killed on a movie set once. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, right? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, um, Vic uh, Morrow. Vic Morrow and, and that child. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> I was on a movie set, and there was a guy that was. Uh, uh, it was a commercial. It was a commercial, right? And he was directing a commercial, and it was a commercial for cereal or some such uh -huh. thing. And the job was just to be a lab, a, a, like like scientists at a lab, and we were out of school that had a lab, and we we're chemistry. And there was a guy who kept getting in the way and talking back to John Landis, and uh -huh. we we're all going, dude, don't, don't. He he may kill you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, I I watched John Landis lose his shit on this guy and go, you, you're gone. You're gone. You're still in the spot, but you're essentially, right now, you're going to be atmosphere. And the guy turned around and goes, if I see your face, I'm kicking you off set. And you go, just shut the fuck up, do your job, mm -hmm. and get the fuck out. Right. Because it's a job. Yeah. And, and I feel like if there's a director that really wants, that I love working with, it's that director that doesn't, that, that is just letting me fly. Yeah, yeah. Because if he starts giving me a lot of notes, I'm thinking, well, am I not doing it right? As right. opposed to, here you go, baby. Just do whatever the fuck you want to do. Yeah. And that I love. I love anybody that trusts me because that's really at the core. Right. Well, and you also think, like, well, it, it, it's something I felt uh, definitely about, about television shows and about developing television shows. And it's one of the reasons I was happy to go back to work for Conan because of the process of developing television shows is really can be really demoralizing and and I always liken it to and it's the same I guess for actors it's it's as if there was a restaurant that opened in your neighborhood and you got all this positive feedback you read good reviews had good word of mouth you drive by and it was busy and it seemed like oh this is a 
this place is, looks like it's great. Let's go ahead and try it out. And then you get a table at the restaurant and instantly go back to the kitchen and tell the chef how to cook things. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what casting and, and buying shows is. It's like, this guy's talented. Look at this. Look at all this work that he's done. Let's hire him. Yeah, let's. Uh, he wants more money. Give him a little more money. Okay, we got him. He's ours. Now let's treat him like he's an idiot. And he knows nothing. Right. Yeah, like, now, now that the romance is over, let's fuck him. You know, let's just fuck him rigorously and against his will. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, to me, it just seems like a fairly weird business plan. The, but you the know? whole thing about, <laughs> I mean, really, being an actor, you're always at the whim of that client. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, and you never... You're always at the whim of somebody. You always no matter who you are. Right. Steven Spielberg is at the whim of somebody, right. ultimately, you know? That's true. Yeah. That is true. I don't know. It's, you know... But, but you know, for it's him... probably he, Putin. He does, but he uh, does. I, somebody. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Well, his mother used to own a restaurant on Pico. Oh, really? You know this. Yes. My Uncle Mort and I used to go there a lot. Oh, really? It was, um... Like a dairy restaurant. They only did like dairy. Yeah, foods. sure. Yeah. yeah. It was t- horrible. It was just horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. I, you know, when I think about all the time, to- like you've been out here. Did you and I, m- most of the podcasts that I have with old friends are is about, did I imagine this or did this happen? Right. Um, uh, I know, I know, did we, did we, did we room together in the brief time that we were in New York or did I have a separate place? I think I live with Jill and Faith Soloway. You Were you ever in that big apartment on 14th Street? That think, big sort of. I think there, I was we, there. Did, we did a show called The Real Life Brady Bunch that Faith and Jill Soloway produced. And it started in Chicago and it went to New York and then it came to LA. And there was an apartment above a, a vacuum cleaner repair shop on 14th Street that had like 16 people. Living in I don't know that, I that they hung up just like there. there were some rooms that were just sheets hung up, and yeah. that was where adult human beings <laughs> were conducting their lives. It was in like pens of made of bed sheets. It was sort of a sweatshop for yeah, actors. Yeah, it, <clears throat> it was weird. It was fun, but it was it was definitely. Think, did you have your own place? I did. I had a, uh, a I, there was no fucking way I was going to do that. No, I, and uh, I was I, just there for I think three or four, three or four weeks. Yeah, no, I was there for. Pretty much the whole time, but then we went and we took it to L.A. That right. was that was the first job that's that brought when, me to that's L.A. When I yeah, with you, I, in LA. you probably stayed with me here in an apartment. I rented a one-bedroom apartment uh, around the corner in Westwood. From UCLA. Yeah, right. in Westwood. Right, right. right at right. the <laughs> at a behemoth uh, uh, apartment complex called Club California. I do remember that. Yeah, I remember which was that. like a one huge six-block cinder block. It was just like a. The whole building it was been, It could have been massive, a minimum security prison. It was the, a brutal place. Ever. It was a brutal yeah. place. Yeah. <laughs> like, put a guard tower yeah, yeah. and some concertina wire and yeah. just throw those white-collar yeah. criminals in there. And <laughs> in Westwood. Um, well, of course in Westwood. Yeah. Um, can you believe everything that's happened? I know this is a In the world? I know, no. But, Andy, think about, think about everything that has happened with that group. Oh yeah, it's yeah. It's pretty fucking phenomenal. It's pretty. It is. It's yeah. It's really phenomenal. And and when I think about you know, uh, uh, James Grace is here, and uh, when I, and, and James knows this feeling too of like the, what the wave that we got sucked into at no we did nothing other than be alive during this right, time. Right. Yeah. And then the wave that we got sucked into that has brought us to this crest right. Yeah. Here, whatever that is, is pretty amazing. I think so. I mean, I'm just surprised. Because I, I don't – when I started doing improv in Chicago, I don't really feel like I had any plan. 
I don't, I don't know. It just well, seemed what like plan the. Was there I know what then? I mean. It was like you get an agent in Chicago, and you occasionally get like a McDonald's ad or something. You know, I think because like the the pinnacle at that point was Dave Pasquese, who's you know been doing McDonald's voiceovers forever. Right. And so he was like the only person actually making money in a grown-up way. But not doing improv. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he uh, he was still kind of doing improv. He but stopped. What I'm saying, but he was not making. Oh money yeah, he wasn't making do money he doing improv. At that yeah, point, yeah. Went, the best thing that you could do in improv is get out of improv yes. and make money. I yeah. Well, and I don't think that I don't think that's necessarily changed. <laughs> no, I don't think, I don't think that. I, I you think, know, I think there are some of us that were able. Like I look at my, I look at me, I look at Joe Bill, I look yeah. at Jason Messing, I look at you know certain people like Mark Howard, Mark Howard Sutton. Yeah, I look at uh, Jonathan Pitts. I look at people that are able to, but in a way, that's a niche, a niche market. Right, right. That, that we're in, and you, yeah, and you're tra- and you are you, you know, that's teaching. That's that's different than. That's different than somebody paying you to just improvise. And here's the thing. I do believe that there is going to be a time, and right now, but it, it, there is going to be a time where people are going to start being paid more money. Uh, they're going to start being paid money yeah. to improvise. And I think TJ and Dave certainly do it at the bar. Oh, Street. do they? Oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah. You know, they have that show. Have yeah. you seen that show? Mm-mm. All right. It's an amazing show. All right. It's really an amazing show. I Yeah, no, I, I that is kind of, um, that is like a part of improv- and I know there was, you know, a hassle at the UCB about somebody putting up a stink about not getting paid. You know, somebody who was used to being a stand-up and getting, I don't know, where the, you know, five bucks, whatever the fuck stand-ups get. And, and was I think, like... I, I really think that... that I mean, seriously, no, it's like five bucks. Gives, the improv gives $12. Yeah. you get $12. But, I mean, yeah, okay, that's... Right. I mean, I... Yeah, like, there's not a lot of money to go around, and yeah. somebody's got to pay the rent. And, you know, you aren't... As a young improviser, you're fairly expendable. You know, I mean, it's like we'll get another another you know we'll kid and confused yeah and converse up to get up there and you know <laughs> work out his issues. Uh, so I, I mean, I, I it's ugly. You know, it is ugly the fact that there are so many people. You know, who are working for free essentially and 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 performing for free, but eh. <laughs> I, I, you know, I also think yeah, they're having fun. There's right. always drugs and booze around, right. so you know, right, right. Some I, reason. I also believe that you know, it's not like uh, uh, it's not like being a plumber where mm-hmm. you go. Uh, you know what? Um, it's hard to get. You know, I, I got a plumber. Somebody asked me to fix a pipe, and I'm just really excited to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, maybe that'll turn into a voiceover gig. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> maybe uh, somebody will see that pipe. Exactly. Somebody from the industry. That yeah. And that's the whole thing where it's like somebody from the industry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the plumbing industry. Yeah. Maybe they'll see the plumbing industry. Oh, my. The plumbing industry. <laughs> uh, my dad was an electrician, so we would drive by houses and he'd go, uh, I wired that place. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then what? Yeah. <laughs> At 65, my dad decided he wanted to be an actor. Really? Yeah. And so I in Chicago? Him, or in Chicago. Yeah. So I hooked him up with an agent. Uh, he's 87 now. He has not stopped working. Wow. Crazy. That's crazy. I know. And That's now great. I'm, now I'm wiring houses. Uh, it, was a, it was a deal. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I'm sorry, Jerry. But for, but, Jerry, if you yeah. want to do this, we're going to have to give this day. But for webcams, not really for electricity. <laughs> right. yeah. I, um, I was also thinking about this when you were, when you were first in uh, – 
when you were first on Conan and you and Sarah lived, where did you live? You lived in a loft. We lived on uh, 18th, uh, 6th Avenue, on 18th Street, 6th uh, Avenue. You had, a, you had a, like the top floor. Yeah, it was an old, it had been, I forget the name, it had been, uh, an, it had been the, not the original, but the second iMagnon department, department store. And the, the old man who owned it uh, in the 60s, apparently, it was all, it had been, uh, you know, sweatshops, basically. And when we lived there, it was um, today's man in the in the bottom on the on the retail level, and then J. Crew's offices were below us. And the top floor, which had been the couture fashion uh, floor, this uh, orthodox guy's hippie kids had turned into a, some kind of commune in the '60s when it was all a sweatshops. And so that top floor was residential. Mm-hmm. Um, to that day, and in fact, one of our neighbors was Merce Cunningham, the choreographer. Oh, he uh, lived there forever. And uh, did, some you, did you talk to Merce? Yeah, yeah. What kind of guy was he? He was real sweet. He was real sweet, and he was what you an know amazing artist. Yeah, and it was you know, and I did, didn't know anything about him before. He was just a guy. Yeah, he just was. Yeah, I, I mean, it's like, oh, he's a choreographer, and Merce Cunningham was like, oh, I feel like I've heard that name. <laughs> and then as I educated him, I said, oh shit, that's he, you know, he, he's he, really something. Huge yeah. guy, like, 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 like one up of there the, with Twilight Thorpe. Absolutely. And, and, uh, Probably one of the top five American choreographers of all time. The fucking changed yeah. the way that dance yeah. was. Do you feel that of, of people that, have you ever met someone that you talk to and then later on you, you well, certainly Merce Cunningham was one yeah. of those people, where you go, later on you go, oh, oh, I did a little research and that guy invented penicillin. Oh. You know? <laughs> um, no, no, it just because it, it's more for me, it would be, I can't think of anybody uh, remarkable in that way outside of people that I've met show business, you know, right. like, like meeting Gwyneth Paltrow before, you know, she became a big star mm-hmm. and her coming to the first Conan Christmas party and challenging me to remember her name. At the bar, and I was like, and I was lucky that I for some. I think it's just because it's an it's a unusual name. And right. I was like, no, I remember you. You're Gwyneth Paltrow, and she was very impressed that I had remembered her name because she'd been on the show a couple months. And it was our first Christmas party, so we'd only been on the show like or on the air like four months or something. I remember calling you uh, in your office, and uh, and and how interesting it was at the at the beginning of you know your relationship with Conan and how everybody was on this unbelievable learning curve. Oh my, oh yeah. I mean, nobody knew anything. I, it was so nobody crazy. knew anything. I think there was at one point where you had where I was like, "How's it going?" And you closed the door and you yeah, were like, yeah, yeah. "This is what's happening." Oh yeah, and, and absolutely. And, and and for me, and then to think of of again that journey where we are right now. Yeah. And it's it's really unbelievable. It yeah it is kind of it is. I mean, like I said, well, what, what I started to say was just in terms of looking back on the people that we started with in Chicago, and now, you know, I don't. There's not that many people left in Chicago in, from the, that group of people that we know. Well, and um, Dave Pasquale. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And um, and Susan Messing, and right. uh, and but they, there. I, I was just. I'm surprised that we all were brave enough to think that we could make a living at this because that to me was the the biggest hurdle was just I didn't think it just seemed it seemed so like silly 
it seemed like saying you wanted to be a cowgirl. You know, I mean, it's just like, I'm going to get on stage, and people are going to look at me, and I'm going to say stuff. And, you know, I, you know it's, it's just, it's weird. But it's I not have to say this. I, I remember when you, when you got a job uh, with UPS. Yes. With UPS. In Andersonville. In the winter, yeah. in Andersonville, delivering, like being a yeah. holiday guy. Packages, and this is what yeah. I remember thinking. I remember thinking, Andy's just doing this as a survival job. Yes. Something else is going to happen right away. Oh, thank you. And that's you. the way that I felt about it at yeah. that time. And I also, felt, I also felt that about everybody around us, that we are going to fucking make a fucking living at this. See, you had a much, you were, had a much more forethought, because it wasn't until, actually, until I moved out here and was surrounded by a town that's, you know, aside from oil... Show business is paid for everything, where you're kind of like, oh, okay. I mean, you can make what a do you living. Mean? What do you mean? Oh, okay. I mean, just oh. like, you know, like there's, I, I remember specifically driving, and I had worked in production in Chicago. So I, even then, I knew, like, you can make a living making motion pictures. They might be industrial films and, you know, target commercials, but you can make a living. And I, you know, and I've actually directed commercials back in Chicago with, <laughs> with like people, faces that, like, 25 years later, there's like, oh, my God, I, you know, I helped her load her van 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. and um, That's not a metaphor, right? No, no, okay. not at all. Not at all. I wish. Uh, but it wasn't until I remember there was a particular trip to the beach. It was before my wife and I were married, and I'm, it was probably me and her sister and 18 of her friends because that's usually the way it was. And driving to the beach and looking at the, the houses, here, here, yeah, yeah, here and and looking at the houses and thinking, like, you know, that not every house here is Robert De Niro's or you know, David Hasselhoff's. Like, there's probably some houses there that are people that, you know, are are prop guys. You know, <laughs> like prop, good prop guys yeah, got to yeah, have right. a house. Well, you know, makeup people, yeah, production people, yeah. And so like, I, that was where I was kind of like, no, this is this is actually an industry. This is an industry, right? I didn't, I'd heard you know I heard that word, but I didn't believe it because it still seemed like a like running off and joining the circus. It right. didn't seem realistic. I was talking certainly to you. it wasn't midwestern. It wasn't a midwestern thing to no, do. No, no, no. That's it's, it. Was like saying putting toot your own horn on your tax files. <laughs> Like, that's what I do for horn a living. Tutor. I toot my own horn. Yeah, yeah right, yeah. right, right, yeah. right. Uh, I was talking to you uh, 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 when I was in, um, I just came back from eight weeks uh, in Australia, and um, I was at, I was interviewing Deb LaCosta and Dan Castellaneta here at the Fanatic Salon, this great space that they have um, uh, with Jane Morris and Jeff Machalski. And I was, I was going to interview Deb and Dan at the Fanatic Salon, and Dean Haglin was there. Do you know Dean? I know the name, So yeah. Dean was in The X-Files. Uh-huh. And I said to Dean, um, I go, what's happening? He said, I'm moving to Sydney, Australia. I'm like, what the fuck? And, he, and I'm like, I'm going to be in Sydney, Australia. So he and I, I just I, coincidentally, I yeah. got an Airbnb a half a block away from where he lived. We did a show there. Oh, wow. And, um, and we talked about L.A., and he was talking about the house that he bought here with his wife, uh, Florentia, mm-hmm. uh, his wife at the time, Florentia. And the house that he bought, he bought it from, um, uh, uh, I forgot who it was, but somebody's makeup artist. Oh. And it was a fucking huge yeah. house. Yeah, yeah, And when, and it's what, going back to what you're saying, saying not everybody's house is David Hasselhoff yeah, and Robert yeah. De Niro. There is money to be made yeah. here. And not like it, yeah, make, but just like, you know, you can, if you've got a, 
you know, be alive for a while and have kids and make money. You could do it here. But also, my, my, the point that I'm getting to here is this. Like, the idea that you may think you know what you're here to do, yeah. and you have no fucking right, idea what right. you're here yeah, to do. Yeah. And I think that's a huge thing. And I taught a class at um, uh, Western Australia University when I was there. And I, and I Good old WAU. It's called uh, WAPA, WAPA. WAPA? WAPA, WAPA in Perth, Australia. And, um, and the WAPA kids are great. Um, and they're third year acting students. And one of the things that we did was I, they, I, I came there to teach an, an improv class. And I said, you know what I want to do? I want to teach a class on expectations uh-huh. because we're going to spend – half of this class talking about expectations. And here's the thing, whatever it is you fucking think that you're going to do in this industry, and I'm not being uh, cynical, um, you're not going to do that. You're going to do something else. And the sooner, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, the sooner that you can surrender that, and you're not abandoning fucking anything, but the journey that you're going to be on is so much greater than what the fuck you think it's going to be. Well, and I found, I, I got to learn the, the beginning of the late night show was a tremendous learning experience for me, which isn't which you know isn't saying much, but specifically because of course, you know, when I got on a TV show, I learned a lot. No shit. Um, uh, but what the specifically, it taught me a lot of things about how to deal with attention and the pressure of being in charge of something, because I got to see Conan go through it. And in a way that I didn't, I wasn't making decisions, but I was seeing the decisions he was making, and I was seeing the pressure that he was under. And one thing that I that I took from that, because I saw him after having, I think, had the notion that he was going to be a talk show host, and and he very early on, I think, had that notion and realized I want to be in front of people, I want to be on stage. I'm not an actor. He, you know, he's like, I don't think that that's where I fit. I think I'm kind of like Johnny Carson or David Letterman. And so I think that he really did form that notion that that's what he was going to do. And when he achieved it, I think he didn't know what to do with himself because he was still producing all that adrenaline and all that you know bile and blood that was fueling the machine that was like, I've got to get that thing, and then he got it, and then he just boiled over with that same, with all that drive had nowhere to go. So what ended up and happening? What do you think? I think he just, he adjusted over time, you right. know, and he just, and I think, you know, and you, you grow up and you get married and you get perspective and you have kids and you get the, the real perspective, and it just, you know, you, you but it, to me, the lesson that I took from that and and it sort of cleaved with something that was I was inclined to feel anyway, which is to make your goal a process rather than a thing. God. You know, to say, like, my goal is to see how much I can do, to see how many different places, to how far I can spread this virus of me. Um, and you know, and and to not make it just be one thing, because then you never get disappointed if it's if it's open ended, you know. Um, and it was, and I, I I think that that's been good. And I've never, you know, when I, I'm terrible at what would your dream thing to be done? Oh, you know, going home, I guess, and you know, <laughs> nice dinner. <laughs> you know? Uh, what? 
that's, that's things, always pretty good. One of the things that I realized this year that what is exactly essentially what you're saying, and that is is uh, because I, I do teach so much and I watch it, and what I realize about improvisation is this. The product of improvisation is the process of improvising. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Right. The product of our life is the process of living. Right. That's the product of our life. Um, while you're talking well, about... Well, because, yeah, you, uh, in improv, the thing, too, is that, like, it's not about the show, and it's not that people are leaving and going, wow, that Harold really did have a distinct beginning and middle and end, and by the end, they really brought around all those callbacks, you know? Because especially because once you do it, you know that's kind of trickery. That's just exactly. like, that's like, all right, well, we got to put some frosting on it or they won't call it a cake. Slow motion you know? fight at yeah. the end. Um, slow motion fight. We used to do slow yeah. motion fight singing, glory, right. glory, yeah. hell. <laughs> but, they, you know, the, the, the product is, it, like you said, it's, it's the evening. It's the evening that you share with the audience because the text of every show that you do it, it evaporates into the night air. You know, there is no text. So no. it does have to just be about the experience. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you, um, uh, while you were talking about Conan, it really made me think about that wonderful moment. Did you watch the last uh, uh, John Stewart show? I did not. Because um, okay. we were watching, we messed up. We were, we were watching the Republican debates and we f fucked up. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, um, so. Well, in it, and maybe you saw it online uh, anyway, was. Um, Colbert gets there yeah. and just lays into Jon Stewart this awesome blanket of gratefulness. Yeah. And uh, I get really choked up about it because it was, it's, you know, you're watching Jon Stewart just sit there and fucking take it. Yeah, yeah. And essentially what Colbert is saying is going, you don't know how, I, I hope you know how much you've changed everybody's life. I hope you know what you've done to the universe by expressing yourself, by being alive, yeah. by giving us all of this. And the lesson that we got from you, uh, the lesson that we got from you is the lesson of who it is that you are rather than what it is that you've done. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I took away yeah. from it. It was watching, and when you were talking about uh, the process of watching Conan and seeing what it is that Conan was doing, you learned from watching this man yeah. go through that which what he was going through and we learn from that, mm -hmm. and 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 to be present to watching Conan go through that, and certainly me talking to you way back when, when you first started out, and seeing where it is that he is right now, I felt blessed that you shared that with me, so that I was able to go on the journey and to see where Conan was. So yeah. when the Tonight Show or whatever that was fell through, yeah. Tonight Show, right? Yeah, fell yeah. through. I was like, wow, the journey that he went on. This is a Shakespearean proportion, yeah, yeah. in a way. It was, well, it was really weird, like, to be part of, like, showbiz history. It was really, you know, and then to have a book be written about it, and and it's just fucking weird, you know, because it's, I know it's on TV, and I know it's The Tonight Show and everything, but it's still my life, and when it's my life, it's like, oh, it can't be that classy, you know, it's like, it, 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 I was there. So it can't be that great, but uh, but like to read, you know, but just like to read story, to read, you know, like a about a phone conversation that I had with Jay Leno and be reading it in a book is really bizarre, right? Uh, you know, yeah, because I think there's a part of me that still kind of doesn't it doesn't believe all of like it's kind of like what? Well, I'm know, just living my like, life. Yeah, the fanciness of it all and the like people being impressed with things is always, you know, like people seeing me in the grocery store and and I'm 
I mean, I'm, I'm uh, nice and civil, but it is like when they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm seeing you. I always feel like, eh, it's pretty I, I, believable. I, think, I, think I mean, you know. <laughs> your family, I, yeah, I'm your right family here. does it all yeah, the time, yeah. and it's like not a big deal. That's, it's I, fucking I Burbank. I, I live here. What do you want? I think when you lived in New York, I think my my girlfriend saw you uh, like a lot, like wherever you went, you crossed paths. And it's like, oh, that's Andy Richter. And it's like. And 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 it's just so interesting because you go. Now where were we yesterday? Oh, oh, we were we were, we were uh, uh, Laura and I were somewhere, and she was that old man looks like Fred Willard. I'm like, no, that is Fred. <laughs> uh, and to go like these are just people living their lives. Yeah, yeah. And it's also interesting when you are with somebody that you forget is a famous person, and you're just hanging out with yes. them, and and everybody's coming up to them, and you're going, oh my god. Yeah. Uh, dealing with that yeah no i um have a very uh nice level of notoriety because I, there are some people um like will ferrell is a perfect example and i probably well i mean conan i see i see it in conan's life uh you know he he and i can go out together and and i can become invisible like people don't even they're like oh my god i watch the show all the time i love the show it's so fantastic and then just aren't talking, they don't like, they don't, they're not looking at me. And I don't know, I, I, I think part of it is just that he's such a striking visual that he, he can't hide, whereas I can put on a baseball cap and be another fat guy in a baseball cap, whereas there's, he's always going to be Conan O'Brien, you know. Right. He, he could, you know, put on a cat suit and people would figure it out, you know. Um but uh, Will Ferrell's, I know, you know, from knowing Will. I just the idea of like hiding in public in a cat suit. In a cat suit. Yeah, like I don't know that's. I don't know, yeah. it might work. So you're talking about Will Ferrell. Um, Will Ferrell, like, I, he's one of the m- nicest, most lovely people in the world. But the weight of his fame, I've seen over time, has made him withdraw in a way that, and in fact. I were uh, there was when I did the movie Semi Pro, and we you know I, we would go out or we'd be you know out in public and socializing a uh, bunch of people because it was a really fun movie really great it, it was really uh, it, it's crazy like it was like you know high school friends of mine were doing a movie together and we'd go out and do stuff and there were, and I'd see Will sometimes with people with public and I'd be like oh he's kind of gotten kind of dicky about stuff and then as time went on I realized he has to be dicky he doesn't even wait because believe me it's not in his makeup but like we went out on a Saturday in Michigan somewhere we were shooting up in outside of Detroit and we were in the nice area and he threw a a lunch for his uh, wardrobe assistant like the woman that dresses him on all his movies Uh, Will Ferrell yeah he threw threw a birthday party for her and there were about uh, you know 15-20 of us there at some brew pub and it's I mean I could do a one man show about this lunch of just how fucking rude all these nice small town people were about him and seeing him have to say people not until after we're done not until after we're done and people get pissed off and then seeing when he's done and like okay now I'm I mean 60 people just the entire restaurant stands up and runs over to get a picture and you know and it just seems like and, I, it makes I don't you know think, it's like, like when you I like him too but Jesus 
Well, but there's also... What are you really getting, you know? The idea of uh, when you're young and you say you want to be famous, or whatever that's going to be, to really realize that's what that means. Um, uh, My friend... uh, my dear friend Nia Vardalis, a dear, dear friend of yes. mine. You know, I watch Nia, and you know Nia. Yeah. Uh, and to watch Nia, um, uh, to watch Nia interact with the public is a yeah. very interesting thing because she's extremely calculated. Mm-hmm. She's extremely uh, very focused, and but she's also she's learned how to through Nia yeah. be kind to people and say. I, I really, I love spending, I would love to do this right now, but I'm having this great meal with my friend. Yeah. And why don't you come back around? And I, I'm, and to do that, but everybody gets to have their own privacy yeah, yeah. on their own terms. Yes. And I think that's really, that's really important. I, that was, uh, that was one part, of, we just did a bunch of shows, we did four shows from Comic-Con, mm-hmm. um, which I'm fine, you know, I like genre stuff. I mean, I'm a 48-year-old man, so I don't like it as much as. Some adults I don't think do, age but has uh, you know, to do with it. I really don't believe age. But I, but just the crowd of it, and the kind of, and then you know, we had four shows of talking to famous people, talking about how they can't go to this festival that's ostensibly a celebration of what they're doing without being mobbed by people and. Or having to go through the machination of costuming themselves. That's, well, that's what they're all talking about. And then, so it, then it, it, but nobody, no one at any point said, well, hey, maybe the people at the conference or at the convention should just lay off a little. Like, that's never, it's always like, I guess I'm going to have to put on a different costume next year. Like, no, how about people just leave you the fuck alone right. and right. look at you and go like, oh, look, there's, you know, Jean-Luc Picard. Right. Yeah, awesome, you know. Yeah, right. I mean, but. Uh, it's but there because it just seems like an invitation. Like What's we're going like to dress invitation? up. We're going to dress up in costumes. You try and figure out if it's me, and then all of you treat me like some sort of vending machine to get things out of. You <laughs> right. know, it's it's weird to me. It's just I don't. I, I asked. I don't. I, I and it's not just because I'm on TV. It's I've all. I think even if I were a you know an actuary, I'd still be kind of like, what's the big fucking deal with getting you know? I also believe that I, I, I get embarrassed for everybody in that situation. Yeah. I get embarrassed for the for the actor. I get embarrassed for the people that are doing it. I get embarrassed for the people that are photographing it. Yeah. I get embarrassed for the. Whole, it's the reason I don't go to strip clubs. Yeah. I like get embarrassed <laughs> for everybody like, I never. I was whenever like people like. Guy friends that say like, "Hey, you want to go to a strip club?" and I'm like, "Sit next to you while you have an erection." No, thank you. <laughs> I'm not really. Exactly yeah, exactly I, and I like to get exactly. my erections away from you. <laughs> that's Please. Exactly what, that's exactly I know. what I was thinking. Like, like I've never been to a, I've never been to a uh, a bachelor party either. Oh, yeah. Because the last thing I want to see is like a director that I work with in his tidy whities yeah. with a boner, sweaty. Right, right. And I'm like, that's the fucking worst thing. Right. Ever Which reminds me of this, not the tidy whities boner, sweaty. But I don't know if you remember this. I hope you don't. But I'm going to tell it to you anyway. Uh, when you lived in that loft, yeah. we went out to dinner one night. Um, I, maybe we watched the show. I, I can't remember. But it was you and Brian McCann and, and Sarah was there. And everyone was there. And we went to a French restaurant. And you were very gracious. And we got totally smashed. Yeah. And uh, there was probably there was a La Cajou. There was a restaurant around the corner from yes. our house. That one year, one year I, when we got our Amex bill and it had all the pie charts breaking things down, I realized I bought a car at that restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, that was before children. Well, so I, I, got, I, got, I got loaded, and I think Katie like dragged me. We went to your place, yeah. and you had 
a loft bed yeah. up, a, up a, a ladder. Yeah. And Katie and I stayed in that loft bed in a room. Like, I, maybe it was a no, room. it wasn't a room. It's just like a little tucked yeah. away loft that's still open to the rest of the apartment. Exactly. But it had a modicum of privacy. Yeah, a modicum of privacy. Yeah. So um, I get up there, and Katie and I fall asleep, and I just take all my clothes off, and I fall asleep. And uh, I was toasted, and I went to the bathroom, and I climbed down the fucking ladder, and I went to the bathroom, and it was late at night, and I went to the bathroom, and I came back up, and I looked at the ladder, and I'm like, no fucking way. There's no way. There's no way. I'm totally naked. I fall asleep on the couch. I wake up in the morning to Sarah going, um, Oh, you really yeah. Want yeah. To wake up and yeah. put your clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> she was so, like, very, it was yeah. like, really quite nice of her to, to do yeah. that. Yeah. See, I would have woken you by spooning, <laughs> getting in close. <laughs> what do you want for breakfast? <laughs> I do. I actually do remember because I uh, her telling me that. Yeah. I do remember her telling right. me. Right. Yeah. And but but though again those days over there they were halcyon days, a uh, word that I've never ever used until this moment. Uh, uh, but but it was just and it was great to be part of that New York scene. Yeah. And uh, well, we got to throw a lot of the parties because I was one of the first people to get a job. Mm-hmm. So like when everybody from UCB came to New York and then the, and then they sort of attracted a you know like a crowd of east coast you know kindred spirits like uh you know andy daly and and you know the er, and um uh uh uh, rob cordry Mm -hmm. and people like that Mm -hmm. that sort of um were in part of that group then we like i said i was the only one on tv at that point and so (laughs) you know we had the parties and we did we we coincidentally ended up Living two doors down from the UCB's uh, original space the, right, the, right. on Twenty Second Street, yeah. so like our we we co-hosted a New Year's Eve party uh, there one year, which was uh, debauched. Um, it I'm was thinking about the people yeah, yeah. that were there also. Oh no, I, it was I'm, it was, and I mean no, absolutely, it how was. How fun that yeah, was. It was. There were a lot of people there. Yeah, and various. Stages of destruction. Uh, <laughs> no, that, but I remember. I remember like being in the front of this theater. Was there was like a little narrow thing right in front of a ticket booth, and standing in there talking to people, and then all of a sudden it was about four or five hours later, and it and I had to I had to find my wife who had done the same thing but on a chair in the other room, and I think I might have had to help her walk. <laughs> <laughs> home, which is only two doors, but that was it was a fun party. Uh, uh, the, and, and also to look at that, uh, we go back to that time too yeah. as a golden time. Yeah. Go back to that time and say it had nothing to do with me other than being at that place at that yes. time. Well, it, you started it, you started it by saying a nice thing about me and a lack of ego and that being a joy. And that, it's also too, uh, I. And it isn't any. It, I I realized it as I've gotten older. Like I have always like my main uh, priority is having fun. Is and I and I always and I whenever I work in a different place where they don't put a priority on having fun, I'm just like, why the fuck are you doing this? Why aren't you, you know, in a hedge fund or something? This 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 takes hours and hours. You get you know, occasionally there's animals and explosions, and you're gonna not choose to have fun like you're not it it boggles my mind because that's 
it's the the best thing about being in show business is that it's always fun. I still like it to walk around a, a movie lot, to work on the Warner Brothers lot, and walk around and peek in, and you know, like, oh my God, it's like a castle in there. It's fucking thrilling. <laughs> it's still thrilling, you know. And I, and to bring back Jimmy Burroughs, one, and I'm, I would love to lift this from him. Will Arnett told me that Jimmy Burroughs, has, and he's had it for years in his contracts with everybody, he has a fun clause which says that if he decides he's not having fun and he's the only judge, he just gets to leave. He just gets to leave. And they, and, and, and they still they pay him up to where he works, but he, I think. But he just gets to leave if he wants to, and he's only invoked it once, and apparently it was on uh, Rob Schneider's uh, show, Angry Men or something like that. And he just decided, he just, like, he was, you know, they were shooting, I think he was supposed to shoot a bunch of episodes, and on the first, like, three days in, they were out on location. And just, you know, I don't like this. It's not fun. And he just left. And there's nothing anybody could do about it. And I just love that because it is like, yeah, what the fuck? You, if it's not fun, what are you, why are you doing it, you know? Right. Uh, let's end there. Thank All you right. so much, Andy. Rick. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thanks uh, for sharing your afternoon. Oh, you're welcome. I also want to thank uh, I want to thank James Grace and uh, the Los Angeles uh, uh, Improv Comedy Festival. Uh, By, try the brats. There's a whole brat tent outside at the festival. Uh, try it's the really brats. Eat the brats. Exciting. Uh, thank you, everybody. All right. Thanks. Make your goal a process rather than a thing. And how far can I spread this virus of me? Great words, great thoughts, and a great way to live a life. Thank you, Andy Richter. ADD Comedy with Dave Zaski also thanks James Grace and the crew of the wonderful 13th Annual Los Angeles Comedy Improv Festival at I.O. West in Los Angeles. I also thank Laura Parker, my co-producer, my dear friend musician extraordinaire Al Rose for our theme song, I Feel Like a Million Dollars from Al's album, Sad Go Lucky, and we thank you, our listeners. If you liked our show, give us a positive note on iTunes, won't you? If you're interested in having me at your theater, improv school, corporate event, if you need to chat or, I don't know, want me to tear a building down, please drop me a line at dave at addcomedy.com. Thanks, and we'll hear you in our ears.